this hour is Dwayne Bryant. Uh, Dwayne Bryant is currently serving as the minister of the New York Avenue Church of Christ in Arlington, Texas. Uh, he is one that holds a Ph.D. in biblical studies uh, with a concentration in Old Testament. He holds a couple of master's degrees and then also has some additional study, clearly is a man of, of, who loves learning. Um, he is one that is a staff writer for the Daily Apologist, uh, Apologetics Press, and the Carolina Messenger, uh, which certainly puts him a lot into the uh, Christian evidences and defending our faith type field, um, especially with a topic that we're going to be discussing today. It seems like there is a few that would be better qualified than our brother Dwayne. So um, looking very forward to hearing what he has to say to us. Come preach to us, brother. All right, guys. So uh, delighted to be here with you, get to explore this topic with you. Uh, actually, when I first got the assignment, I uh, was a little bit nervous about this because this is a sensitive issue. I mean, this is a, a big issue in our, in our world and getting bigger all the time. And so it's uh, a little bit uh, nerve-wracking to talk about something that is such a um, topic of device, uh, of, of that divides people in our, in our culture today. And there are a lot of things that we might say about it that um, it, uh, uh, there's a lot of emotion uh, tied into it. Is it not on? How about that? Does that work? There we go. <laughs> thought something was up with that. Uh, yeah, so uh, you know, a lot of emotion uh, in it, uh, a lot of feelings. Uh, you have uh, some uh, uh, folks who uh, have been told from a very young age that you know, there's nothing wrong with homosexuality, even though God's Word clearly says otherwise. Now, uh, the question is, is there a gay gene? And uh, I was talking with a couple of the guys earlier, you know, the short answer is no. You know, but I can't just leave it there, right? I have to say some more about it. And so, uh, but really the short answer is no. There is no such thing as a gay gene. This has been proven, scientifically proven. Um, but you always will, will hear this uh, mentioned in the media. And so you hear any kind of news story about this, any kind of uh, article in a publication or anything like that, you'll, you'll see this brought up over and over again, even though uh, as, a, as an idea, the idea of the gay gene is kind of dying a slow death because with science marching on and on and on, it's showing that it's not really a thing. Um, it, it really is false. Now, what I do want to mention about this is, uh, uh, to start off with, is not so much dealing with uh, a gay gene or homosexuality, but tactics and strategy. And um, I think it's extremely important for us to consider the nature of tactics and strategy when these kinds of things come up, whether it's on the news, whether it's in movies and television, whether it's among friends, in conversations, whether it's in, in magazines and that kind of thing, um, it is important to talk about this because uh, Satan definitely has a plan. He definitely has a strategy. And that's just how we work in life, right? You have a, a you know, if, if you're going and starting a business, you have a business plan, right? You have to know 
uh, first of all, what are you going to do, right? Are you going to produce uh, something, uh, manufacture something? Are you going to provide a service? Uh, how are you going to do that? How are you going to manufacture that thing that you're going to sell? What are you going to sell it for? How much? You know, who's going to be your buyer? Who's your target audience? Uh, how are you going to manage your money? You know, who do you need to hire? Do you need to hire specialists? Uh, who have very uh, specific skill sets, very specific abilities, or can you hire anybody? You know, are you, are you going to be shipping something, or do you need a designer, somebody with a very specific uh, training? Right? Uh, are you going to? Um, uh, how much money do you need to start, and how are you going to get that money? Are you going to get a loan? Are you going to put your own money into it? Uh, you know, there's all kinds of questions that you have to ask just in starting a business. Right? Uh, sports is the same way. You know, you, uh, you, whether you, you, any of you guys play if you football or soccer or whatever it happens to be, you know, if you're a coach, uh, you're going to have a, a plan going into the game. You're going to know the opposing team. You're going to know who their great players are. You're going to know where their weaknesses are. You're going to try to exploit their weaknesses and offset their strengths. You're going to design a game plan to give you the best possible chance of victory, right? Uh, war is the same way. You know, unfortunately, war exists in our world, and those who uh, go to war, uh, you know, what do you do? Do you just say, hey, hey, let's get a group of guys over here, and you just hand them a bunch of guns and grenades and say, hey, go shoot those people, right? No, you don't. Right? You have a strategy. You have a plan. Uh, where are you going to attack? Who is your enemy? What kind of terrain? Do you need to coordinate land, air, and sea attacks? Do you, uh, you know, what kind of weapons are you going to use? What kind of units do you need? To, do they need to be specialized units for special operations? You know, there's all kinds of things. Uh, that have to be factored in to going into war. And our lives as Christians, I think, work very much the same way. We have to have a strategy for our lives. We have to have a ta you know, understand the nature of tactics in dealing with temptation that's going to present itself. Right? We have to have plans for uh, dealing with that, plans for finding the right person to marry, plans for having the right types of friends who are going to be good influences, finding a good congregation. There's all kinds of things that we have to um, take into consideration just in living out our Christian lives. And of course, temptation is a big part of that. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses a lot of imagery that deals with war and soldiers uh, in the New Testament. Romans thirteen twelve talks about the armor of light, putting on the armor of light. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 talks about the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. And of course, you guys, I'm sure all of us know the most famous passage about the armor of God, and that's in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And I'll go ahead and read that. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, verse 11, right there, the devil is already scheming. He's already planning. He's already plotting. You have to be ready for that. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. You see, even there, he's talking a little bit about tactics. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Even in the end, as he's wrapping up, he's talking about tactics. What do you do? You stay ready, right? At nighttime, what do you do? You post a guard. You post a watch. While everyone else is resting, you have someone who is able to keep guard and, and keep watch over uh, over everything. To the end, persevere. Pray at all times. He even gives you specific things that we are to be doing as Christians. So... Um, Paul uses the imagery of the soldier because it was serious. It was serious business in the first century. You know, when you joined the Roman military, it was a serious commitment. You didn't just say, hey, I'm going to try being a Roman soldier for a couple of weeks. You made a commitment. You swore your allegiance to Caesar, and then you served. It was a very, very serious commitment. Now, uh, the devil, the devil is very sneaky, and the devil has his own brand of scheming and tactics. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, I think, is a great place to, um, to see that. If you go there and, and, and notice how he approaches Adam and Eve, what does he do? He plays on their pride. You know, oh, hey, guys, uh, you know, God said you can't eat this fruit. You can't eat this fruit. Did he really say you're going to die? Oh, man, he knows that in the day that you eat it, you're going to know the difference between good and evil just like he does. He's keeping you down. He's withholding something from you. He's holding something back that you could be able to enjoy. And so eat that fruit. And they do. And they sin. And so he was playing on their pride um, to, uh, to get them to sin. And I think there are similar strategies that are being used to, in our world today to make homosexuality uh, something that is acceptable. Now, um, if we uh, uh, go and, and, and look at some of the, the strategies that have been used, uh, I'm going to break it down into five points, five uh, kind of individual tactics that have been used and kind of give you some illustrations of, of what's been done. This, is, this has been at work for decades. Okay? I mean, before I was born, people were already looking at getting the homosexual lifestyle into the media. And so, uh, you know, there is a, there was a TV show. There are a few people in here who would have seen it. Uh, Three's Company, uh, for some of our uh, uh, little older uh, participants here. Um, there was a, it was a television show about three people, two girls and a guy. The, um, uh, the, uh, the fellow uh, played uh, as if he were a homosexual so that they could all room together. And the, you had this landlord who was always running around trying to see if he could catch the guy, if he was, see if he was really straight instead of being gay. And, uh, you know, he's kind of this bumbling sort of figure. Um, but the way that the, the, the guy who, who said that he was homosexual, the way that it was portrayed, it was, it was very funny. Uh, he was, you know, kind of a klutz, you know, always tripping over things and uh, and all that. But he was very friendly, very nice. And if you look at the very earliest um, uh, characters who were homosexual in American television, they're always nice, they're always friendly, they're always the kind of people that you would want as your next door neighbor. Always, you know, would would go the extra mile for you. Always smiling, always, always just good people. Um, you would you would never have a, a portrayal of someone who was homosexual who was mean spirited or cruel or anything like that. Now that came later, uh, but at the very beginning, the, you know, always just nice people uh, and all that. Even the use of the word gay, you know, back in the 1920s and 1930s, very early on, 
you know, the word gay just simply meant to be happy, meant to be joyful. And the reason why that word was chosen was to uh, to be applied to homosexuals to make it, uh, oh, there's a positive connotation. It's a positive thing, right? Well, that's part one. That was the first part of the strategy. Remove the shame of being homosexual. Remove the negativity of, of being homosexual. And therefore, uh, it's non-threatening. And what that does is it undermines the Bible, right? Because the scripture is very clear that this is something, this is activity that is not uh, acceptable uh, among God's people. Well, what the, well, what does that do? It undermines scripture. Now, um, the second part is, you know, you may look around on television today, and there are a lot of shows, movies, that kind of thing, where uh, gay characters are not always happy and, and nice and good neighbors. Sometimes they are mean. Sometimes they are cruel. Well, they don't need to be portrayed as, as positive so much anymore because now, step two, the law has stepped in. And now it's legalized uh, same-sex marriage. And so um, what happens here is uh, you have the idea of, oh, well, it's legal now, so therefore it's moral. And what is legal is not always moral. Sometimes you have things that are perfectly legal that are absolutely immoral to do. You know, it's perfectly legal. If I want to go home and get a 12-pack and uh, get drunk in my house, I, I have the perfectly legal right to do that. It's not moral. It's absolutely immoral to do that. Uh, now, if I want to go cheat on my wife, it's, absol it's absolutely legal for me to do that. I can do that. I can have an affair if I want. But it is absolutely immoral. These are things that are, are not allowed by God, but are permitted by the law. And so we have to make sure we, we understand that difference. Just because something is legal does not mean that it's a good thing to do. does not mean that it's moral. Uh, step three, make it popular. Make it a popular thing. And so you've got all kinds of celebrities who, uh, who endorse uh, celebrate or participate in uh, homosexual activities. Uh, I remember several years ago, uh, Katy Perry uh, struck a nerve when she uh, uh, put out the song, I Kissed a Girl, right? I kissed a girl and I liked it. And uh, so a lot of people got really, really uh, upset about that. But that was just one step. I mean, we've got lots of stuff now that has similar steps that have gone much farther uh, than that. But uh, uh, but you do have celebrities who will come out and endorse this behavior, endorse this lifestyle, and celebrate it as a good thing. Uh, if you've been driving around, you may have seen the, the, the blue square with the yellow equal sign in it, uh, standing for equality, equality for uh, LGBTQ individuals or transgender individuals now is uh, uh, kind of uh, getting on the bandwagon. Um, well, equality is a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's good to be treated as an equal. Everybody wants that. You know, nobody wants to be put down or discriminated against. But when it comes to marriage and when it comes to relationships, God's word is very clear. It's one man and one woman. Um, uh, and ideally, uh, you would have uh, uh, the bond of matrimony with these two individuals. And so, and so if you have uh, physical... Um, uh, interactions with uh, a member of the opposite sex. It has to be within the bonds of matrimony, right? That's God's design for, uh, for people, for relationships. Uh, now, in making it popular, there is the, that appeal to emotion. You know, we talked about just a minute ago. It's a it's very, very, uh, very emotional thing. 
Now, step four is indoctrination. Uh, programming people into understanding that this is a good thing, that this is positive. And so uh, you have um, uh, television shows, and I, I'm pretty sure that not a lot of you guys have been watching Arthur lately. Uh, I have four gir- I have five girls, uh, and so some of our girls do, uh, do watch it. But um, uh, you may have heard that in May of this year, the uh, very first uh, episode right out of the gate of the new season was um, I think his name is Mr. Ratburn, the teacher, uh, got married as a marriage wedding ceremony to a guy, to a dude, right? And so right out of the gate, uh, that's, uh, that's being presented to children. And if you can get children accustomed to this and indoctrinate children in this, in this way, well, then you grow up thinking, oh, well, this is normal, right? Well, this is just a normal way of, 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 of doing things. It's different than most people, but that doesn't mean it's bad, Right? That's kind of the message that's being sent. And then finally, the step that we're going to be spending the rest of our time on is looking at uh, homosexuality as a, biological, uh, a biologically determined status. And so uh, you tell people, you argue, you make the case that homosexuality is not a choice. It's been programmed into your genetics. It's been programmed into your biology. Well, if that is the case, uh, if, if homosexuality is biological, well, then that's, that's it. I mean, discussion over. I mean, that, I mean that's, that's arguing against someone who's homosexual is, like, uh, is as foolish as arguing against somebody who has a different skin color or a different gender or a different background or speaks a different language or comes from a different place in the world. Right? It's as foolish as criticizing any of these other things. It's just being homophobic is, is, is as foolish as being racist or, or uh, sexist or ageist. You know, if, if you discriminate against somebody because they're very young or they're very old, well, that's not fair. So if homosexuality is biological, then it's not fair to criticize it. All right, so now we're getting into genetics, the gay gene uh, here. And... Uh, attempts to try to argue this go back a long time. They go back to the 1970s. And, well, okay, some people in here aren't going to think that's a long time. It was just around the time I was born, all right? Uh, Now, 1973, 1973, uh, until then, homosexuality was defined as a psychiatric disorder. It was a mental disorder. And in 1973, it was removed from the manual that psychiatrists use to diagnose mental illness. Uh, It's called the DSM, uh, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Uh, It's on DSM-5 now, I think, but but back then, this was listed as as a mental health issue, a psychological problem. And what very rarely gets mentioned in the media is that um, people who identify as homosexual often do suffer from other mental health issues, uh, identity disorders, uh, depression, uh, you know, and, and, and a number of other things. Now, the reason why it was taken out of this, and it's an it's a encyclopedia-like uh, uh, book, but the reason why it was taken out was it was argued by one, uh, one person who based his argument on some research that wasn't really very well done. It wasn't very scientific. Um, but there were other studies that were done and, and have continued to be done. And, uh, of course, there was one that was, that was uh, released just a month and a half ago, uh, actually after I turned the manuscript in for the lectureship this week. 
uh, it's been concluded that hey, there's there's no gay gene. There is no there is no single or multiple uh, array of of genes responsible for homosexual behavior. But uh, but this these studies do go back quite a way. They go back to the nineties, um, and uh, they kind of gave the appearance that oh, there must really be something to this because they're exploring it with science, right? And so it was kind of this illusion that there really was some scientific case for this. Well, um, obviously, you know, there's, there's no surprise for us that someone would try to do this, try to find a genetic basis for, for homosexuality. But what we do find in digging into it, and, and this is something where I think you and I as Christians, don't, we don't need to be afraid of science. I think there are a lot of Christians who are deathly afraid of science. They're afraid of geology, they're afraid of paleontology, and here they're afraid of psychiatry and psychology. And this is something where I think the more we know, the more we dig in, the more we research and find out, the more we're going to find out that the Bible is right. The more we're going to find out just how true God's Word really is. And what these studies have shown is not only that there's you know no gay gene, but that those who participate in homosexual behavior often have a number of other things that go along with that. And so you've got environment, you've got family, you've got experiences, uh, you've got risk-taking behavior that all kind of comes together in this package, uh, very little of which has anything to do with genetics, that all does have an impact on, on homosexuality. Now, for you and me, Psalm 139, verse 14, it's very clear. Um, the psalmist says that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, you and I have been uh, crafted by God, manufactured by God in such a way as you and I, our bodies, are more sophisticated than any machine any human being will ever build. Okay? Our minds are more sophisticated than any computer that will ever be designed by a human being. Uh, we are marvelous machine, even all the way down to our individual cells. Our individual cells uh, have just an array of machine, biological machinery that shows just how sophisticated we really are. We really are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the more we understand about science and the more we explore the body and the mind, the more we understand these things. Now, um, there isn't an easy way to understand anything that we do, right? Uh, because we are so complex. We are so sophisticated. Uh, now, what that says is it's really um, kind of an overreach to say that there's such a simple solution to homosexual behavior. Is that, oh, there's just a gene. There's just one gene that you go find. That and that, and that explains it. You and I are unbelievably complex, and so explanations for these are also going to be very, very complex. Now, there was a study, a very famous study in 1993 that was published that claimed to find the gay gene. It claimed to find this one cause that was responsible for uh, homosexual behavior. Now, that has been discredited. It has been debunked in virtually everything that's been published since. But if you notice, it always gets mentioned every single time. Why? Oh, because it's an important part, because it showed that there was something to it. It showed that there was some kind of scientific basis there, that we need to be looking at that to explain homosexual behavior. And the fact is, this stuff's been debunked. 
It, it was it was bad research. It was a bad conclusion. But for some reason to this day, it still gets mentioned. It's like this bad conspiracy theory that keeps popping up over and over again. Um, other people weren't able to duplicate his this guy's findings, uh, who, who originally made the, the statement here. And that is something that is absolutely vital. In science, you have to be able to duplicate your findings. It's, it's absolutely imperative, because if you can't, other people will not take you seriously, and they will assume that you made a mistake. If you can't duplicate what you did, they will assume something went wrong, you made a mistake, you misinterpreted something. And so that is a major, major problem for some of these things, because a lot of these early studies have not been able to have been duplicated. Now, um, there are researchers today who are finally having to be forced to admit that there really isn't much of a genetic basis for homosexuality at all. Uh, it is not genetically determined. Uh, now, they will look for uh, genes. They will look for alleles, which are kind of related to genes. They will uh, look at a number of different aspects of a person's DNA. And what they find is there's very, very little there uh, worth noting that has anything to do with sexual behavior. Um, what is more likely and what is more important is our environment. How were we raised? Did we have a father? Uh, what did, how did our father treat us? How did our mother treat us? There are all these environmental factors, they really play a huge role uh, in this. Now, that does not... Uh, alleviate someone from the responsibility of, well, uh, you know, I can't say, well, well, my dad was really abusive, or my dad was uh, was an abs absentee father. My mother really just, man, she really doted on me all the time. So therefore, I'm gay. You know, there's still a there's still responsibility there. There's still a choice there uh, that uh, that's been made. Now, I mentioned this study that came out a month and a half ago. It, it's kind of related to uh, to 23 and Me. Uh, if you notice, uh, you, know, you see commercials on the television for these uh, genetic kits you can send off and find out where your ancestors came from. Are they European or African or you know South American or whatever? Uh, and uh, researchers analyzed this uh, the, this genetic data. It's a half a million people almost. And when you look at something called sample sizes, that's an awesome sample size. Usually, you're talking about something in the hundreds or the thousands. This is in the hundreds of thousands. And what researchers did when they looked at this is they said there does not really seem to be any genetic basis for homosexuality. There's nothing significant that we have found uh, that, um, uh, that, that, can be, that, that can explain uh, homosexual behavior. Now, uh, what we do see, however, is that there have been people who have participated in homosexual behavior who have changed over time. And so, you know, you may, uh, and we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, upstairs about um, uh, people who, uh, who might uh, uh, kind of play around with it. And uh, you may have some kind of relationships uh, with similar uh, people of the same gender. Um, but over time, what happens is those people grow out of those, those relationships. This is not something that's long lasting. It's it's kind of like there's a there's a reversion back to the back to the natural or back to the normal, which is heterosexual. Um, you do have examples of uh, of individuals who uh, who were homosexual, but over time 
they said, you know, this isn't working for me. Um, this is something that's not honoring to God, and so they do actually revert to heterosexual. You know, this is something that does happen uh, in our society, and and very rarely ever gets reported. You rarely hear of people who say, oh, yeah, I used to be gay, but now I'm not, because, you know, I realized that wasn't what my life was supposed to be, or that wasn't something that honored God. You know, that, that wasn't who I was. I was playing around with something, and I gave that up. You never hear that uh, in the media. You never see that published. And if it is, oh, these people are deluding themselves. Oh, they're just faking. They're trying to get some attention. It's always, you always find some way to dismiss it. Uh, when really, I, I would say, it's, they're just simply going back to the, the natural state in which God created them in his image. Now, where do we go from here? How do we view these attempts to try to, to, to look at the gay gene or, or try to find some genetic reason for, for homosexual behavior? There's three things that I, that I pointed out in the manuscript. You can go back and, and take a look at that, but I'll summarize them very quickly here. There's three major issues. Number one... You need to find the genetic evidence for it. It needs to be clearly defined. It needs to be something that can specifically point to this behavior and precisely be able to predict it. So far, nothing like that has happened. Second thing, it needs to be so precise that you can clearly distinguish people who are heterosexual from people who are homosexual. And again, what we see is very little difference at all, almost nothing. Uh, there's just nothing there. And then finally, you have uh, the results of studies should uh, disallow the possibility of the influence of the researchers. Uh, I don't remember if I mentioned this, but a lot of the very earliest studies that were conducted that claimed to find evidence of a genetic basis for homosexuality all the researchers were homosexual. Um, so you have a vested interest. Uh, someone says, well, I've chosen this lifestyle. I want to find evidence um, that says that it's not a choice, that, that, that I was made this way, I was born this way. And guess what? They find it. Um, that was uh, some of the very early studies. That was, that was the case with, I think, three different, three, three different ones. So you have to get rid of that kind of bias. Uh, you have to eliminate that from the equation. So in the end, you know, science is consistently failing. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Researchers are consistently failing to show that there is a strong genetic link between our DNA, our, our genes, our genetic makeup, and homosexual behavior. Now, what I will also say here is that's not very comforting to some people, to some people who may be struggling with this or, or, or may have had this in their background. Maybe they've been influenced. Maybe they've been indoctrinated to accept it and, and, and see it as a positive thing, a good thing. That's where you and I as Christians come in because we have to approach these individuals with love and give them God's design for mankind. Uh, give them God's blueprint. If we go and just blow them up and, and beat them over the head with the Bible, that's only going to cement them that much more in a way of life that is that is against God's design. And so what we have to do as Christians, uh, kind of put 1 Corinthians 13 into practice. We need to approach them, yes, absolutely. But we need to do it with love and care and concern because if we just go and try to beat them up with Scripture... They're going to see that we don't really care about them. That's not loving. That's not caring. But if we go to them and we make it clear 
that we care about them. We really do care about them and their eternal soul. Then that will help us in helping them to see God's wisdom in His plan for human sexuality. So, all right. Well, thank you guys very much. Thank you, Dwayne. That was a good, thorough study, um, covering a lot of different angles. Uh, we appreciate the time and effort you put into that. Very needed subject, especially for um, for teens. Uh, you guys are dealing with this in the trenches uh, every day at school and in other places. So thank you very much. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Uh, we will have a, a few extra minutes, so let's uh, uh, try to be uh, quiet and courteous of the other um, sessions that may be going until um, the top of the hour, which we'll have worship at 6 o'clock. Let's bow together. Father, we love you and we're grateful that you uh, provide us uh, so much wisdom and insight in your word that uh, covers so many issues that apply to this day and age. Uh, Lord, we know of the intense battle that happens uh, sometimes uh, in regard to homosexuality and transgenderism and and so many of these different topics. And uh, Lord, we we pray that you will give us wisdom as we deal with these situations, that we will lean upon your word. Uh, but of course, more than anything, we pray that we will approach these um, discussions with love and help people to draw into a closer relationship with you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to study this today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. Two questions. Yes, sir. Gap or Levi? Which one is the gap? Uh, 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 no, seriously. Uh, great work. I uh, appreciate all your work. Oh, good. Uh, 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 u